Good morning, Story Family. Hope you are all having a fantastic Sunday morning. Uh, thank you, Josh and team, for leading worship as always. I am so sad that could not be there this morning. I wish I could be there in person with you all. I wish I could be worshiping with you all. I wish I could talk to you. I wish um, just I miss those conversations and being able to see everybody. And I, I kind of miss our, our little bit of coffee and cookies afterwards. So I have a batch of chocolate chip cookies ready to go for after I'm done recording this. So I'm there in, in spirit technically. Uh, but I was scheduled to bring the word and uh, unfortunately on Friday I tested positive for COVID. And that kind of capped off a crazy week in itself. Uh, Katie had tested positive for COVID. So uh, she had her bout with that, but fortunately she's doing awesome. She is fully recovered, it seems like. Uh, and I myself have some mild symptoms, but I'm quarantined in the house right now. And fortunately, I live by myself. And so I'm able to roam the whole house. I, have, I can be in the whole house. I'm not confined to one room because if I was, I would be going stir crazy. I'm not a type of person that likes to sit still all the time and I definitely like to be moving around. And so fortunately this house has been a blessing and being able to uh, be able to go about the house. Uh, but I definitely miss going places. I really like going to the grocery store for some reason. So we're gonna see how this quarantine thing goes. Uh, it's only day two, so uh, buckle up uh, a little bit. But it definitely is probably gonna push my limits a little bit and test my limits a little bit. And I was thinking about that pushing limits and testing limits and um, I thought about all the times I did that as a kid. For some reason it brought me back to that where I, I tested the limits on my siblings. Uh, they can definitely testify to that to this day. Um, I maybe pushed them around a little bit. You know, as the oldest, you kind of got to keep them in check a little bit. Uh, and then I also tested the limits on my parents. I'm sure I'm not the only one who has done that. Uh, but I tested my parents from a very young age. Let me give you an example. When I was three years old, we were living in Maple Grove, Minnesota, which is a suburb of the Twin Cities. It's on the northwest side. Uh, it was just myself, my sister Abby, my dad, and my mom. My dad was pastoring a local church plant, and my mom was working at a, at the hospital in the in the area. Uh, and we lived in this awesome three level house. It used to look like sky blue. The new owners painted it and everything like that. And that picture was taken a couple of years ago, but it has basketball hoop on it. It was a really cool house. Uh, on the bottom floor in the basement, it had this sliding patio door that led out to the backyard. Well, one afternoon while my mom was at work and my dad was paying attention to my sister, Abby, uh, because, you know, she was one. She needed required a little bit more attention. I managed to sneak out. Now, what I didn't tell you about that house is it borders Hemlock Lane, which is one of the busiest and highly traveled roads in Maple Grove. Oh, and by the way, it was rush hour. <laughs> so you can imagine right there, I, I beelined it right there and I got all the way to the highway and I managed to stop traffic. Kind of crazy. Well, my dad was at home. He had no idea until the doorbell rang. It was my neighbor with me. He was like, where did you find him? On the highway. Can you imagine the shock my, my dad had in that moment? 
Holy smokes. That's crazy. Now, fortunately, that story ended the way it did, where my neighbor was there in traffic by the grace of God and took me home and recognized me and, and was able to take me home, excuse me, and bring me back to the house. And it ended the way it did. But, oh my goodness, that's crazy. I, I, I can only imagine the emotions in that moment. But that one moment had a ripple effect. Well, let me explain that. From that moment on, my relationship with my parents changed as a small child. And rightfully so, you know, there are consequences for my actions, but they had to make sure that all the doors were locked. Uh, they had to keep a little bit closer eye on me. And so uh, that, those are some of the ways the relationship changed. And it, and it stayed that way for the time being until I, you know, grew a little bit older. I think we can look at sin in that same way. When we sin, there is a ripple effect. There are consequences. We may think the sin is little and insignificant. You know, we may compare it to it and say, at least it's not this, you know, at least it's not murder. And, and we tend to think it only affects ourselves. But the reality is it affects our relationship with others. It affects our relationship with our spouse, our significant other family, friends, co-workers, but most importantly, it affects our relationship with God. Have you ever thought of how sin impacts relationships? Hmm. Today, we're going to take a look at the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 30. And to kind of give you a little bit of context, um, the Israelites at this time are coming out of Egypt. They had just uh, left behind. They were freed. They're in the desert. And God tells them that he wants them to build this tent of meeting where he can dwell with the people, the, the Israelite people in itself. So he's giving all of these instructions leading up to chapter 30. And so we're going to pick up in verse 6 right here. So if you want to follow along with your Bibles, let me grab mine here a second. So we'll start at verse 6. Put the altar in front of the curtain that is before the Ark of the Testimony, before the atonement cover that is over the testimony, where I will meet with you. Aaron must burn frequent incense on the altar every morning when he tends the lamps. He must burn incense again when he lights the lamps at twilight, so incense will burn regularly before the Lord for the generations to come. Do not offer on this altar any other incense or any other burnt offering or grain offering, and do not pour a drink offering on it. Once a year, Aaron shall make atonement on its horns. This annual atonement must be made with the blood of the atoning sin offering for the generations to come. It is the most holy to the Lord. So I kind of want to give you a little bit of a visual of the tent of meeting. As you can see, we see the Ark of the Covenant, we see the altar of incense, we see um, the entrance, uh, but right between the Ark of the Covenant and the front of uh, the, the tent is this veil. And that veil is there intentionally. It was to separate um, the most holy of holies right there between the rest of the temple. That is where God dwelled. And, and the crazy thing about this temple is that not everybody could enter. See, God had intended for the Levite tribes to be the only ones that could be preached that could enter the temple. Um, so out of the Levite clan came Aaron. 
He was the most high priest and his sons were the only ones allowed to go in there. And so Aaron, he had to go through all these ceremonial cleansings to even enter the temple. Uh, there were certain sacrifices that had to be made each and every day. And there was one where they had to do sacrifice once a year for the atonement of sin. I mean, could you imagine going through all that every day? I, it, it says back in the previous chapters of Exodus, like they had to bathe and then there's specific linens. And I mean, holy smokes, there's a lot of requirements there. And so I couldn't imagine if you're Aaron, it was probably getting a little bit exhausting. But how did we even get to that point of having to do all of that? It goes back to the original temple, Eden. From the moment the apple was bitten, sin changed the relationship between man and God. I mean, think back to the garden. You're strolling there, if you're Adam and Eve, you're living life, you're loving life. It's probably 72 degrees and sunny, no humidity, a nice breeze, there's no mosquitoes, at least I imagine. I think those were things that came after the fall. Can't wait to ask God about that when we get to heaven. Um, but you're having some of the best fruit you could ever taste. Oh, and by the way, you are having daily communion with God the Father himself. You are walking in the garden with the guy who created the heavens and the earth. That had to be amazing. I can only imagine the conversations that were had in that garden. I, I mean, to get to walk with God the Father is awesome. <laughs> but that one day, in one bite, it was gone. We went from walking with God in the garden to now only certain people get access. I wonder if Adam and Eve knew that one bite could cause all that we see and struggle with now. It makes you think a little bit. But this is how we get to this point with the Israelites. There had to be a way for the sin to be atoned. And God says, here is the way I want you to do this. Because there's this holy God where the Israelites can't come into relationship with him the way it originally was intended. So he puts this high priest, Aaron, as the mediator between Israelites and God. It was the only way that they could interact with him. There was this veil that separated that holy of holies like I talked about. Um, that was kind of the, the symbol between the, the barrier between God and man. And, and what's crazy is that God is so holy that if you walked in the most holy place and you even caught a glimpse of the presence of God, you were struck down. The same thing with the Ark of the Covenant. If you even touched it, you dropped dead. That is where the ceremonial cleanings, the incense, the other various rituals came into play. And it, and it stayed in place for thousands of years. The reality was a debt had to be paid. I think we have a similar mindset or a view going on right here in America. I think we tend to think of sin as a transaction. Here's what I mean by that. I have a debt that I owe and Jesus pays our debt. It's kind of like when you go to the restaurant, right? You order the food, 
and then you owe money for the food, you pay the waiter and waitress, it's all settled, and you're on your way out. Maybe another way to put it. Hey Jesus, oops, I sinned. Don't worry, you paid for my sin on the cross, please forgive me. Okay, cool, thanks, bye. That's an attitude we have sometimes towards sin, and towards the way we view it. I mean, I'm guilty of it myself. I think we minimize sin in a way when we look at it in a transactional. When we look at Exodus, it's hard not to look at all this as transactional though. I mean, you think of all the rituals and cleanings and whatnot, but the main purpose behind all of that was to restore the relationship between God and man. Make it right again. That was the intent. But the cool part is God had a bigger plan in mind all this time, right? I mean, it was prophesied throughout the Old Testament. God's plan involved restoration through of that relationship through the ultimate sacrifice, Jesus Christ. When Jesus died on that cross, that price was paid, the ultimate sacrifice right there. The relationship between man and God was made right. No more having to sacrifice animals. No more ceremonial cleansings. When Jesus said it was finished, I think that was one of the most defining moments in the Bible. By this time, the temple had been physically in Jerusalem. and This is where the people would come to sacrifice. The temple had the outer courts, just kind of like the tent of meeting. And the Holy Holy still had that veil separating it with the Ark of the Covenant in there. When Jesus said those last words, it is finished, that veil tore. As it says in Matthew 27, verses 51 through 53, at the moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, rocks split apart, and tombs opened. The bodies of many godly men and women who had died were raised from the dead. They left the cemetery after Jesus' resurrection went to the holy city of Jerusalem and appeared to many people. Uh, that had to be a surreal moment right there. A very painful moment, but also a very transformative moment. The holy of holies were exposed now. No more special access, no more separation. It was all there. In that moment, the temple shifts from a physical location to us. We now get to have this intimate relationship with God the Father. Not only that, but we get to approach Him with confidence and boldness. Hebrews 4, verse 14 through 16. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. The high priest of ours understands our weakness, for he faced all the same testings we do. Yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that amazing? A.C. Dixon said, Through the death of Christ on the cross, making atonement for sin, we get a perfect standing before God. That is justification, and it puts us in God's sight, back in Eden, before sin entered. God looks upon us and treats us as if we had never sinned. 
Some of you may have heard that saying growing up um, of how to define justification, just as if I had not sinned. Romans 5 verse 18. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. See, God is in the act of restoring and redeeming relationships. He did all of this for us. I mean, for us. Yet, our sin and human nature gets in the way. The mentality of, oh, I can do it on my own creeps in. Pride gets in the way. It affects our relationship with God and with others. We sometimes withdraw because of that. We withdraw maybe from our Bible study groups, our friendships. We disengage. We don't spend time with God. We disconnect. The things that are helping us draw near to God, we suddenly push to the side. And when that happens, we feel that relationship uh, begin to waver. Uh, back in September, I was kind of in a, a weird stretch. Uh, I was traveling within two weeks of each other for work. Um, typically, I only have a once a month uh, where I travel, um, but this one we had special circumstances. And so one week I was in uh, Minneapolis and one week I was in Alabama and I had a little bit of a gap in between there. Going into that trip uh, to Minnesota, I honestly was just disengaged. I was going through the motions with everything. I even made a comment to my coworker uh, on that trip that physically I'm there, but mentally I am not. <laughs> I mean, I was going day by day and I thought to myself, well, if I just do this or be intentional about this, things would go away. But the reality is my pride was getting in the way. It, it really was. Not only did it affect me on that trip, but it also affected other things. It affected my relationship with Katie. It affected my relationship with God. And so when I got back, I walked into counseling, uh, my counselor Chris at the time, and I kind of just laid it all out for him. Told him what was going on, and the first comment from him goes, have you spent time with God? My answer was sheepishly, no. I, I think that question is one that many relate to. I, I, we go, 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 but we never wait in his presence. I mean, during that whole time, I wasn't praying. I wasn't doing devotions. I was just on the move. And I wasn't being intentional about, intentional about my time with God. My pride and my ego got in the way of the, honestly, easy answer. The rest of the day, I was barely holding it together. Uh, I remember at that counseling session, I think I was on the brink of tears many times. Finally, after work, I called Katie and I just sobbed. And this was right before one of our lead team meetings, so it was great timing that it all happened. <laughs> after that moment, though, it, it, it kind of transformed me. It, it affected me deeply. I had to be intentional about spending time with God. And it made me think differently about that. I, I mean, I had to communicate with God. And it's the same thing with other relationships, right? Whether it's with your spouse or friends, you have to communicate with them. You have to build that relationship. But in that moment, the sin of pride got in the way, like I said. And many things, including our sin, can get in the way of that, you know, that the relationship with God. In church, uh, I have to ask this question, what sin is getting in the way of your relationship with God? Is it maybe that same sin of pride? Is it that sin of ego? 
Is it those websites you search at night while your spouse is asleep? Is it a drinking addiction? Is it a gambling problem? Is it lying? Is it stealing? Is it lust? Church, it does not have to be that way. Those things don't have to get in the way of our relationship with God. Because God is right there with open arms. He is wanting that relationship with you. He wants to restore that relationship. And maybe you've stepped away from church for a while. Maybe the church itself has caused trauma and has skewed that relationship with God or the view of God. The church is definitely guilty of that. And from the bottom of my heart, if this happened to you, I am so deeply sorry. I really am. Maybe you're back. Maybe you're thinking about giving this Jesus a try for the first time or again. And the mentality we get stuck in is we think our sins and our past defines us. That honestly is not the case. Sin does not define who we are, but it's how we respond to it that defines us. Do we run to God in those moments? We can let, our, let it affect our relationship with God, or we can give it to God. Church, I challenge you not to let sin get in the way of your relationship with God. I want you to spend time with God. Get in the Word. Pray daily. Maybe it's doing you version Bible plan with friends or even just yourself. As part of the Zero Collective organization, we get access to their application. You download it right from, from your app store on your phone. Uh, right now it has a devotional series going on in the book of Mark. Another way is maybe it's going out for coffee once a week with a couple people and um, spending time in the Word. Maybe it's getting out of bed 20 minutes earlier than normal. Uh, honestly, that's been a practice I've put in the last couple weeks, and it's caused me to go about my day differently. Now, of course, I still have those struggles through the day, um, but it allows me to enter the day with a, a heart of gratitude and of thanksgiving, and it allows focus and just to be still before God. And, and I want to make sure we we don't uh, don't look at this as transactional. These are tools to help you to get into relationship with God. It's not the substitute. As you may have heard it said, it's not about the quantity, it's about the quality. It's about that relationship with God. Just like the, uh, the temple back in Exodus, you know, the incense burned all day and all night with the prayers of the people. Right? It was that, that routine that uh, morning and night Aaron would go in there. And just like the incense where the prayers rose, prayer is still a fragrant incense to God's heart. We don't save ourselves through prayer, though. We pray because of His work on the cross, and it's because of His work on the cross that we get to be in a relationship with Him. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much. For this day we thank you for the ability to come and worship with your people both virtually and in person we thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for us we thank you that we now have access to the veil is torn lord 
We thank you that we could have that relationship with you. And Lord, you are in the business of redeeming, redeeming our brokenness, redeeming our relationships, Lord. And so we just pray over that right now. We pray that you would continue to redeem and restore our relationship with each other and with you. We pray that we would be intentional about spending time with you, Lord. We pray that we would be intentional about spending time with others in community and in the word. We pray that any sin, any barriers will be gone in Jesus' name. We give that all to you. We pray over this week, we pray that your love would shine through us to other people, that they would, other people would know that their past, their sin does not define them, Lord. That they may know that there is hope, that there is a Savior that has come to redeem that relationship, to be in relationship with you, Lord. We pray that people all around us would experience you, that we would experience you day in and day out, Lord. We thank you for who you are, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, Story family. Hope you are all having a fantastic Sunday morning. Uh, thank you, Josh and team, for leading worship as always. I am so sad that could not be there this morning. I wish I could be there in person with you all. I wish I could be worshiping with you all. I wish I could talk to you. I wish um, just I miss those conversations and being able to see everybody. And I, I kind of miss our, our a little bit of coffee and cookies afterwards. So I have a batch of chocolate chip cookies ready to go for after I'm done recording this. So I'm there in, in spirit technically. Uh, but I was scheduled to bring the word and uh, unfortunately on Friday I tested positive for COVID. And that kind of capped off a crazy week in itself. Uh, Katie had tested positive for COVID. So uh, she had her bout with that. But fortunately, she's doing awesome. She is fully recovered, it seems like. Uh, and I myself have some mild symptoms. But I'm quarantined in the house right now. And fortunately, I live by myself. And so I'm able to roam the whole house. I, have, I can be in the whole house. I'm not confined to one room. Because if I was, I would be going stir crazy. I'm not a type of person that likes to sit still all the time. And I definitely like to be moving around. And so fortunately, this house has been a blessing. And being able to uh, be able to go about the house. Uh, but I definitely miss going places. I really like going to the grocery store for some reason. So we're going to see how this quarantine thing goes. Uh, it's only day two. So... Uh, buckle up uh, a little bit but it definitely is probably going to push my limits a little bit and test my limits a little bit and i was thinking about that pushing limits and testing limits and um i thought about all the times i did that as a kid for some reason it brought me back to that where i i tested the limits on my siblings uh they can definitely testify to that to this day um, I maybe push them around a little bit, you know, as the oldest, you kind of got to keep them in check a little bit. Uh, and then I also tested the limits of my parents. I'm sure I'm not the only one who has done that, uh, but I tested my parents from a very young age. Let me give you an example. When I was three years old, we were living in Maple Grove, Minnesota, which is a suburb of the Twin Cities. It's on the northwest side. Uh, it was just myself, my sister Abby, my dad, and my mom. My dad was pastoring a local church plant, and my mom was working at a, at the hospital in the in the area. Uh, and we lived in this awesome three level house. 
It used to look like sky blue. The new owners painted it and everything like that. And that picture was taken a couple of years ago. But it has basketball hoop on it. It was a really cool house. Uh, on the bottom floor in the basement, it had this sliding patio door that led out to the backyard. Well, one afternoon while my mom was at work and my dad was paying attention to my sister, Abby, because, uh, you know, she was one. She needed required a little bit more attention. I managed to sneak out. Now, what I didn't tell you about that house is it borders Hemlock Lane, which is one of the busiest and highly traveled roads in Maple Grove. Oh, and by the way, it was rush hour. <laughs> so you can imagine right there, I, I beelined it right there and I got all the way to the highway and I managed to stop traffic. Kind of crazy. Well, my dad was at home. He had no idea until the doorbell rang. It was my neighbor with me. He was like, where did you find him? On the highway. Can you imagine the shock my, my dad had in that moment? Holy smokes. That's crazy. Now, fortunately, that story ended the way it did, where my neighbor was there in traffic by the grace of God and took me home and recognized me and, and was able to take me home, excuse me, and bring me back to the house. And it ended the way it did. But, oh my goodness, that's crazy. I, I can only imagine the emotions in that moment. But that one moment had a ripple effect. Well, let me explain that. From that moment on, my relationship with my parents changed as a small child. And rightfully so, you know, there are consequences for my actions, but they had to make sure that all the doors were locked. Uh, they had to keep a little bit closer eye on me. And so, that, those are some of the ways the relationship changed and it, and it stayed that way for the time being until I you know grew a little bit older. I think we can look at sin in that same way. When we sin, there is a ripple effect. There are consequences. We may think the sin is little and insignificant. you know we may compare it to it and say, at least it's not this, you know, at least it's not murder. And we tend to think it only affects ourselves. But the reality is, it affects our relationship with others. It affects our relationship with our spouse, our significant other, family, friends, co-workers. But most importantly, it affects our relationship with God. Have you ever thought of how sin impacts relationships? Today, we're going to take a look at the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 30. And to kind of give you a little bit of context, um, the Israelites at this time are coming out of Egypt. They had just uh, left behind. They were freed. They're in the desert. And God tells them that he wants them to build this tent of meeting where he can dwell with the people, the, the Israelite people in itself. So he's giving all these instructions leading up to chapter 30. And so we're going to pick up in verse 6 right here. So if you want to follow along with your Bibles, let me grab mine here a second. So we'll start at verse 6. Put the altar in front of the curtain that is before the Ark of the Testimony, before the atonement cover that is over the testimony, where I will meet with you. 
Aaron must burn fragrant incense on the altar every morning when he tends the lamps. He must burn incense again when he lights the lamps at twilight, so incense will burn regularly before the Lord for the generations to come. Do not offer on this altar any other incense or any other burnt offering or grain offering, and do not pour a drink offering on it. Once a year, Aaron shall make atonement on its horns. This annual atonement must be made with the blood of the atoning sin offering for the generations to come. It is the most holy to the Lord. So I kind of want to give you a little bit of a visual of the tent of meeting. As you can see, we see the Ark of the Covenant, we see the altar of incense, we see um, the entrance, uh, but right between the Ark of the Covenant and the front of uh, the, the tent is this veil. And that veil is there intentionally. It was to separate um, the most holy of holies right there between the rest of the temple. That is where God dwelled. And, and the crazy thing about this temple is that not everybody could enter. See, God had intended for the Levite tribes to be the only ones that could be priests that could enter the temple. Um, so out of the Levite clan came Aaron. He was the most high priest and his sons were the only ones allowed to go in there. And so Aaron, he had to go through all these ceremonial cleansings to even enter the temple. Uh, there were certain sacrifices that had to be made each and every day. And there was one that they had to do sacrifice once a year for the atonement of sin. I mean, could you imagine going through all that every day? I, it, it says back in the previous chapters of Exodus, like they had to bathe and then there's specific linens. And I mean, holy smokes, there's a lot of requirements there. And so I couldn't imagine if you're Aaron, it was probably getting a little bit exhausting. But how did we even get to that point of having to do all of that? It goes back to the original temple, Eden. From the moment the apple was bitten, sin changed the relationship between man and God. I mean, think back to the garden. You're strolling there. If you're Adam and Eve, you're living life, you're loving life. It's probably 72 degrees and sunny, no humidity, a nice breeze. There's no mosquitoes, at least I imagine. I think those were things that came after the fall. Can't wait to ask God about that when we get to heaven. Um, but you're having some of the best fruit you could ever taste. Oh, and by the way, you are having daily communion with God the Father himself. You are walking in the garden with the guy who created the heavens and the earth. That had to be amazing. I can only imagine the conversations that were had in that garden. I, I mean, to get to walk with God the Father is awesome. <laughs> but that one day, in one bite, it was gone. We went from walking with God in the garden to now only certain people get access. I wonder if Adam and Eve knew that one bite could cause all that we see and struggle with now. It makes you think a little bit. But this is how we get to this point with the Israelites. There had to be a way for the sin to be atoned. And God says, here is the way I want you to do this. Because there is this holy God where the Israelites can't come into relationship with him the way it originally was intended. So he puts this high priest, Aaron, 
as the mediator between Israelites and God. It was the only way that they could interact with him. There was this veil that separated that Holy of Holies, like I talked about. Um, that was kind of the, the symbol between the, the barrier between God and man. And, and what's crazy is that God is so holy that if you walked in the most holy place and you even caught a glimpse of the presence of God, you were struck down. The Same thing with the Ark of the Covenant. If you even touched it, you dropped dead. That is where the ceremonial cleanings, the incense, the other various rituals came into play. And it, and it stayed in place for thousands of years. The reality was a debt had to be paid. I think we have a similar mindset or a view going on right here in America. I think we tend to think of sin as a transaction. Here's what I mean by that. I have a debt that I owe, and Jesus pays our debt. It's kind of like when you go to the restaurant, right? You order the food, and then you owe money for the food, you pay the waiter and waitress, it's all settled, and you're on your way out. Maybe another way to put it, hey Jesus, oops, I sinned. Don't worry, you paid for my sin on the cross, please forgive me, okay, cool, thanks, bye. That's an attitude we have sometimes towards sin and towards the way we view it. I mean, I'm guilty of it myself. I think we minimalize sin in a way when we look at it in a transactional. When we look at Exodus, it's hard not to look at all this as transactional, though. I mean, you think of all the rituals and cleanings and whatnot, but the main purpose behind all of that was to restore the relationship between God and man. Make it right again. That was the intent. But the cool part is God had a bigger plan in mind all this time, right? I mean, it was prophesied throughout the Old Testament. God's plan involved restoration through, of that relationship through the ultimate sacrifice, Jesus Christ. When Jesus died on that cross, that price was paid, the ultimate sacrifice right there. The relationship between man and God was made right. No more having to sacrifice animals. No more ceremonial cleansings. When Jesus said it was finished, I think that was one of the most defining moments in the Bible. By this time, the temple had been physically in Jerusalem. and This is where the people would come to sacrifice. The temple had the outer courts, just kind of like the tent of meeting. And the Holy Holy still had that veil separating it with the Ark of the Covenant in there. When Jesus said those last words, it is finished, that veil tore. As it says in Matthew 27, verses 51 through 53, at the moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, rocks split apart, and tombs opened. The bodies of many godly men and women who had died were raised from the dead. They left the cemetery after Jesus' resurrection, went to the holy city of Jerusalem, and appeared to many people. Uh, that had to be a surreal moment right there. A very painful moment, but also a very transformative moment. 
the Holy of Holies, we're exposed now. No more special access, no more separation. It was all there. And in that moment, the temple shifts from a physical location to us. We now get to have this intimate relationship with God the Father. Not only that, but we get to approach Him with confidence and boldness. Hebrews 4, verse 14 through 16. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. The high priest of ours understands our weakness, for he faced all the same testings we do. Yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that amazing? A.C. Dixon said, Through the death of Christ on the cross, making atonement for sin, we get a perfect standing before God. That is justification. And it puts us in God's sight, back in Eden, before sin entered. God looks upon us and treats us as if we had never sinned. Some of you may have heard that saying growing up uh, of how to define justification, just as if I had not sinned. Romans 5 verse 18. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. See, God is in the act of restoring and redeeming relationships. He did all this for us. I mean, for us. Yet, our sin and human nature gets in the way. The mentality of, oh, I can do it on my own creeps in. Pride gets in the way. It affects our relationship with God and with others. We sometimes withdraw because of that. We withdraw maybe from our Bible study groups, our friendships. We disengage. We don't spend time with God. We disconnect. The things that are helping us draw near to God, we suddenly push to the side. And when that happens, we feel that relationship uh, begin to waver. Uh, back in September, I was kind of in a, a weird stretch. Uh, I was traveling within two weeks of each other for work. Um, typically, I only have a once a month uh, where I travel. Um, but this one, we had special circumstances. And so one week I was in uh, Minneapolis and one week I was in Alabama. And I had a little bit of a gap in between there. Going into that trip, uh, to Minnesota, I honestly was just disengaged. I was going through the motions with everything. I even made a comment to my coworker uh, on that trip that physically I'm there, but mentally I am not. <laughs> I mean, I was going day by day and I thought to myself, well, if I just do this or be intentional about this, things would go away. But the reality is my pride was getting in the way. It, it really was. Not only did it affect me on that trip, but it also affected other things. It affected my relationship with Katie. It affected my relationship with God. And so when I got back, I walked into counseling, uh, my counselor Chris at the time, and I kind of just laid it all out for him. Told him what was going on, and the first comment from him goes, have you spent time with God? My answer was, Sheepishly, no. I, I think that question is one that many relate to. 
I, I, we go, 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 but we never wait in his presence. I mean, during that whole time, I wasn't praying. I wasn't doing devotions. I was just on the move. And I wasn't being intentional about, intentional about my time with God. My pride and my ego got in the way of the, honestly, easy answer. The rest of the day, I was barely holding it together. Uh, I remember at that counseling session, I think I was on the brink of tears many times. Finally, after work, I called Katie and I just sobbed. And this was right before one of our lead team meetings, so it was great timing that it all happened. <laughs> after that moment, though, it, it, it kind of transformed me. It affected me deeply. I had to be intentional about spending time with God. And it made me think differently about that. I, I mean, I had to communicate with God. And it's the same thing with other relationships, right? Whether it's with your spouse or friends, you have to communicate with them. You have to build that relationship. But in that moment, the sin of pride got in the way, like I said. And many things, including our sin, can get in the way of that, you know, that the relationship with God. In church, uh, I have to ask this question, what sin is getting in the way of your relationship with God? Is it maybe that same sin of pride? Is it that sin of ego? Is it those websites you search at night while your spouse is asleep? Is it a drinking addiction? Is it a gambling problem? Is it lying? Is it stealing? Is it lust? Church, it does not have to be that way. Those things don't have to get in the way of a relationship with God. Because God is right there with open arms. He is wanting that relationship with you. He wants to restore that relationship. And maybe you've stepped away from church for a while. Maybe the church itself has caused trauma and has skewed that relationship with God or the view of God. The church is definitely guilty of that. And from the bottom of my heart, if this happened to you, I am so deeply sorry. I really am. Maybe you're back. Maybe you're thinking about giving this Jesus a try for the first time or again. And the mentality we get stuck in is we think our sins and our past defines us. That honestly is not the case. Sin does not define who we are, but it's how we respond to it that defines us. Do we run to God in those moments? We can let our let it affect our relationship with God, or we can give it to God. Church, I challenge you not to let sin get in the way of your relationship with God. I want you to spend time with God. Get in the Word. Pray daily. Maybe it's doing you version Bible plan with friends or even just yourself. As part of the Zero Collective organization, we get access to their application. You download it right from, from your app store on your phone. Uh, right now it has a devotional series going on in the book of Mark. Another way is maybe it's going out for coffee once a week with a couple people and um, spending time in the Word. Maybe it's getting out of bed 20 minutes earlier than normal. Uh, honestly, that's been a practice I've put in in the last couple weeks. And it's caused me to go about my day differently. Now, of course, I still have those struggles through the day. Um, but it allows me to enter the day with a, a heart of gratitude and of thanksgiving. And it allows 
focus and just to be still before God. And, and I want to make sure we we don't uh, don't look at this as transactional. These are tools to help you to get into relationship with God. It's not the substitute. As you may have heard it said, it's not about the quantity, it's about the quality. It's about that relationship with God. Uh, just like the uh, the temple back in Exodus, you know, the incense burned all day and all night with the prayers of the people. Right? It was that, that routine that uh, morning and night Aaron would go in there. And just like the incense where the prayers rose, prayer is still a fragrant incense to God's heart. We don't save ourselves through prayer though. We pray because of his work on the cross and it's because of his work on the cross that we get to be in relationship with him. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for the ability to come and worship with your people, both virtually and in person. We thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for us. We thank you that we now have access to the veil is torn, Lord. We thank you that we can have that relationship with you. And Lord, you are in the business of redeeming, redeeming our brokenness, redeeming our relationships, Lord. And so we just pray over that right now. We pray that you would continue to redeem and restore our relationship with each other and with you. We pray that we would be intentional about spending time with you, Lord. We pray that we would be intentional about spending time with others and community and in the word. We pray that any sin, any barriers will be gone in Jesus' name. We give that all to you. We pray over this week. We pray that your love would shine through us to other people. That they would, other people would know that their past, their sin does not define them, Lord. That they may know that there is hope, that there is a Savior that has come to redeem that relationship, to be in relationship with you, Lord. We pray that people all around us would experience you, that we would experience you day in and day out, Lord. We thank you for who you are, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.